Hello and welcome to the Daily Reprieve, where we provide essays, speaker meetings, workshops, and conferences in podcast format. We are an ad-free podcast. If you enjoy listening, please help us be self-supporting by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and drop a dollar or two into the virtual basket. Please consider donating monthly by clicking the Donate Monthly button. However, one-time donations are always welcome. Just click the Donate Now button. Now, without further ado, this episode of The Daily Reprieve. Hi. Um, okay. Uh, welcome to this session. Uh, there's a sessions in session. Uh, somebody remembers that one. Live streaming. This meeting is being live streamed, audio only, over the World Wide Web. If you do not wish to participate in the live stream, you are welcome to remain silent. If you choose to share, we ask that you sit in the designated chair in front of the microphone. Please do not touch the microphone or any of the audio equipment. To all of you who are here, we thank you for helping us carry the message to those who would otherwise never enjoy a convention experience. So, welcome to this session on shame, inventory, etc., uh, my name is Brendan. I'm a recovering alcoholic. Oh, I'm a recovering. Thank you for reminding me. Okay, I'm a recovering sexaholic. Uh, I will be facilitating this session. I'm joined by Simon. Each of us will share our recovery on this topic, and then we will take time to answer questions. Questions will be taken from the Ask It basket. If you wish to participate, write your your questions. Um, uh, on the three by five card and place it in the basket on the table. In the spirit of the fifth tradition to carry the message, this is a recorded session. The recording equipment will not be turned off during the session. We ask that you please silence all cell phones. Let's us open with the serenity prayer. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the thing I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Uh, I'm going to ask Simon here to read the essay purpose. Hey, I'm Simon. Uh, grateful recovering uh, lustaholic, sober by God's grace since 8802. And we have the serenity prayer. Oops, essay purpose. <laughs> the essay purpose. Sexaholics Anonymous is a fellowship of men and women who share their experience, strength, and hope with each other that they may solve their common problem and help others to recover. The only requirement for membership is a desire to stop lusting and become sexually sober. There are no dues or fees for SA membership. We are self-supporting through our own contributions. SA is not allied with any sect, denomination, politics, organization, or institution. It does not wish to engage in any controversy. Neither endorses nor opposes any causes. Our primary purpose is to stay sexually sober and help others to achieve sexual sobriety. Okay, so we're going to we're, we're going to share each of us for about fifteen minutes. Um, you know, that's fifteen Irish minutes. Um, okay, so we'll try to keep it so that that'll definitely fifteen less than thirty. Um, but no, we'll try to keep it in about fifteen, maybe twenty. Um, and I, you know, I just got to be honest. Well, I gotta be honest here. You know, he sort of say to me, like, say, yeah, 15 minutes, 15 minutes. I won't even introduce myself in 15 minutes. <laughs> My name is Brendan. I'm a sexaholic. Um, and, uh, and I'm really pleased to be here. And this is being streamed worldwide. And I'm delighted about that. And, you know, we had this. SA International Marathon this year, which went out to all around the world. And, you know, we have, we have brothers all over the world. We had people coming on from, from Kenya and from India. Oh, is, is, is that better? Yeah, is that better down there? Can you tell me, everybody? Is it feedback? Okay, very good. Um, so we had these, uh, we had people all over the world and I was saying yesterday, I was telling people how we also had one channel, which was in 14 different languages. Yeah. We had the first ever meeting in Swahili online. 
Yeah? And I listened to it. Now, I didn't understand it. But I listened to it. And it was beautiful. Yeah? The first meeting in Swahili. You know, this is a worldwide fellowship. Yeah? And that is something, and we want the world, and we want all of our brothers out and sisters all around the world to know that sort of, we love you. And we really want to le- reach out to you. We really want you to feel like we're here for you. You know, this must feel so far away, but we know that you're getting it together in India. We know you're getting it together in Asia. And we know that in Africa, you know, you got nodes of recovery out there. And, you know, all of you out here that, you know, if you want to start helping on this sort of thing, you know, start to get in contact with the WhatsApp groups. There's WhatsApp groups for Korea, for India, for Asia, for Africa. And you can get on them and they just love to hear people from, you know, with, who's got some sobriety or new people getting on and sort of start to share that enthusiasm that we have for the program. And I'm, you know, I want to talk about shame today. And, you know, I don't know if Mark V's around. I don't see him t- at the moment. But Mark is a guy that uh, I first started to, I came across his material on shame. And if you, if you haven't come across it, uh, look for me afterwards and I will give you the actual links He's here at the conference, but he came up with an inventory for shame, which was just phenomenal when I came to it. Uh, it was just, the simplicity of it was beautiful. Basically, what, he said, what it says is, like, you, you take this issue, whatever issue you may have that's, sort of, that, that, that's shameful to you and, you, and you take a look at it and, and how it affects you, and then you ask... Does this shame, you know, does this shame help you to be what your higher power created you to be? You know, the answer is like, no. Do you know what I mean? Going around shamed because, because of some action that I did like 30, 40 years ago. Is that going to help me to be the person my higher power wants me to be? Like, no, it was so simple. I just, I just looked and I was just went like, why hadn't I heard this before? This should be like sort of, you know, you shouldn't be allowed, you know, go through your first meeting without hearing this. You know, we should sort of like have this. It should be obligatory. Tell everybody we can get rid of shame. Because what we have to turn to is what does my higher power want me to be? And I believe my higher power wants me to be happy, joyous and free. I like to say that if I'm doing this program, I'm condemned to be happy, joyous and free. You know, I can't get away from it with the woman, without the woman, with the money, without the money, with the job, without the job, whatever it may be. If I'm working this program, I've been given this guarantee. I'm going to be happy, joyous and free, you know, so, you know, get used to it. Yeah? And, uh, and, and so I'm not going to take you through what he's done, Yeah. Uh, because it's available out there and, and, and Mark does it so much better. And actually we had Mark on the SIM convention this year and he did a two hour marathon. And, you know, we're looking forward to being able to release these, these tapes later this year, uh, so that people will be able to benefit from that. But I, what I wanted to talk to you about related to that is, you know, when I was looking at my shameful event in life, you know, one of my biggest shames is I've always wanted to be Mr. Cool. Do you know what I mean? Just wanted to be cool. Huh? You know, I was like 14, started drinking alcohol, you know, started taking some substances at 15 when I visited the States, you know, and uh, I just wanted to be cool. It was kind of the end of the hippie era. Oh, and I was, I was, I was, I was a 15 year old hippie, you know, at the end of the era. I always sort of said like I was too young to be a hippie and too old to be a punk, you know. <laughs> but I tried, you know, and I tried and that's all I wanted. So I, I was working really hard on being cool, which meant that when I got to university, I didn't go, you know. I just showed up like for a month or two before the exams and sort of, you know, did the exams and, you know, they just kind of pushed me through. You know, it was like, like nobody wanted me to come back and repeat. It was like, no, 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 let that, uh, you know, we just don't want them back. I was sitting in one exam and, you know, the, 
this, this lecturer in, in contract law come up to me and he says, Brendan, Brendan, now look, don't touch that question, that question, or that question. The trick questions, and as you've never been to any lectures, you won't get them. You know? And I'm sitting there in the exam, and my dog is under the table in front of me, and I'm thinking, you went to just as many lectures as I did, you know? You know, can you be of any kind of help here? Because I have no idea what's going on. No idea what's going on. Yeah? But, you know, and I, and I eventually got through, you know, and I actually got to one of these things, you know, where they sort of, you know, you got to wear a wig and a gown, you know? And, um, you know, oh, stop, jeez, it was a joke. Um, you know, I'm getting up in the mornings and I got to get down to court and I'm sort of like, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm there and I'm, I'm, I'm ironing. You got these little starch collars you got to wear and I'm, I'm ironing them in the morning. I got to hang over. And I'm sort of ironing the damn things, you know, they always burn, you know, and so like, you know, you got to, after about the third one, you're going, oh, feck it, let's take it on and, you know, get on down there anyway. And I'm standing in court 14 and, you know, and the police all around me and guys handcuffed to prison guards and all the sort of things. And I, and I look down and there's something sticking up out of my pocket that shouldn't be sticking there. You know, I said, I just grab my gown and go, geez, you know, <laughs> I hope they don't search me. You know, and I was just, I, I, I wasn't really, I wasn't very much together. Yeah. And I got to do my first, her first case and I went to do my first case and I had one before I opened my mouth yeah so that was very good I was quite happy to leave the court but the court said like that we'll adjourn now and we've come back and we give Mr. Tobin an opportunity to you know to say his say his case and I I came back after after lunch and, and and I started to present the material that I had prepared and the judge wound me up Basically, you know, like sort of made it clear that if I didn't get to the point, like I was going to lose the case. And I was so embarrassed by that. I walked out of the courts. I left the courts. I went down west. I got drunk for two weeks and I never went back. Now, I'd studied for seven years. But I couldn't take the shame of somebody thinking that I didn't know what I was doing. I just couldn't take it. I'd had it when I was a kid. They were always saying to me, why can't you be different? Why can't you be like him? Why can't you be like him? I thought, I don't want to be like them. They're boring. You know, I want to be like me. Why can't you accept me? Why can't you accept me? And you know what this is about? It's not about whether they accept me or you accept me. You know, there's lots of people that don't accept me, believe me. (laughs) But I've learned to accept me. And that's the gift of this thing. The gift of this program is to realize that God made me to be Brendan. He didn't make me to be Harry or John or Fred or anybody else. He didn't make me to be, you know, Brendan's there, he's nine to five. Jesus didn't make me to be a nine to five guy. You know, I lived on the fourth floor of a building in Japan where I was working. I lived on the fourth floor. I worked on the second floor. I could get up at six o'clock in the morning, but I can't get to the office before five past nine. It ain't possible. I can't do it. I cannot do it. You know, I will pack in every single moment. I will be trying to, I've got to pack in. I can't afford to be early. Do you know what I mean? To be early somewhere would be kind of wasting time. And I can't afford to waste time because I've wasted so much time. So I can't afford to be early. And, 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 then, you, and then you get these situations, you know, you get these situations where you come to some meeting and, and it's all about, when I came to my first meeting, my sponsor told me to show up a half an hour beforehand. And I've been turning up a half an hour beforehand ever since the last 30 years. And I'm going, good for you. Good for you. In my home meeting down in Galway, if I turned up on time, they'd, they'd call a doctor. You know? <laughs> they're just not used to it. It ain't the sort of thing they're going to be get used to, you know? Now, I try to get better. But the thing is, oh, man, just getting used to being yourself. I've got ADHD. I didn't ask for it. And, you know, so they, they tell me you've got this attention 
whatever it is, hyperactive disorder, disorder, disorder. Well, I, I went to a, a, um, uh, a convention in, in, in Spain. How am I doing on time? Anyway, I'll keep going. Three minutes. Three minutes, okay. I went to this convention in Spain, and there was a woman there, and she said she had this ADHD, and she said, ADHD is like watching 20 televisions at the same time. <laughs> I thought, okay, yeah, I got that. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? I, I have no problem... Oh, to hell with this. I'm not going to make you sick from this distance. I have no problem seeing the big picture. I can see the global picture on something... You know, I worked in international affair type things sometimes, and I can tell you exactly what you need for a project to get a complete international program on X, Y, and Z. I can tell you from here and every little bit and part of it. But you get me down and say, listen, could you ever write us, you know, five lines about this bit? Oh, man, we're, we're paralysis. Total paralysis, yeah? You know? And I went back to university, and I went back to do a thesis. I had to write a 100,000-word thesis, you know, and I'm going, man, how am I going to do this? You know, how am I going to do this? I can get paralyzed on writing two paragraphs about who's Brendan. You know, I can put that off for a year because I'm afraid that I might not get it right. Man. And when I was doing it, eventually I got this, I was going through these stages and I would get two months where I wouldn't write a line, read a word. And then I'd go, oh God, that's it. The whole thing's done. I'll never be able to read Aristotle in the original. You know, I don't read Greek. Yeah? I ain't ever going to be reading in the original. I haven't read them in the English. Yeah? <laughs> Do you know what I mean? But I'm in, like, I'm, I'm in fear. Like The whole thing is going to go wrong. And when I publish this thing, they're going to say, oh, that thing about Aristotle, that quote, that's wrong. You got it from the wrong place, blah, blah, blah. And so I'm petrified. You know what's going to happen? And, and, and I keep thinking I'm losing all these periods in time. And then... At some stage in the process, I came to, you know, I, I, I looked at that part in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, which is where I go. I've got to admit, that is my, my founding document. And it says, we have a new employer. Being all-powerful, he gives us what we need if we stay close to him and do his work well. And I thought, well, there it is. You know, because I, I was all worried. What would people say if I don't, get this qualification if I don't achieve this thing. And, and it came to me. You know, I'm thinking my sponsor's going to be pissed off. I'm doing four years. I've left my children in, in Peru for four years to come and do this. I mean, everybody's going to be hacked off with me if I don't achieve it. And then I thought, wait a minute. The, the only criteria here is, is it my higher powers will or not? And if it's my higher powers will, it's going to happen. As long as all I've got to do is suit up and show up. And sometimes I suit up and I show up and I just, you know, my idea is I'm going to be working today and I'm going to spend eight hours working and I'll just take a 20-minute walk first of all. So I go out for a 20-minute walk and then we find out that I haven't been home for two days. You know? And that's like sort of, okay, that was the best I could do that day. But my higher power is looking out for me. And so eventually what happened was I sat down and I... I wrote this thing in, uh, you know, in, 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 in about a month and a half, you know, sitting in a room, locked in. I, w I wouldn't let myself out of the room at all. And, and the thing is, that's just who I am. God made me this way. And if I'm insistent on changing the way I am to compare to what somebody else is, then I'm not accepting... I'm not accepting uh, God's, God's gift. And so I hate this idea of attention deficit disorder. It ain't no disorder. It's a gift. I have a gift of being able to see the world in a way that other people don't. And what I have to do is I have to take that gift and I have to use it in the best way that I can. I've been on medication for this thing for 13 years. Today I took the last pill. Yeah? I'm coming off. Yeah? I'm coming off. I want to find out who God wanted me to be. What are these gifts he's given me? Yeah? 
I've learned over a long period of time, you know, the people talked about rage in the earlier session and whatever. I've learned a lot of things that I can do to sort of improve in these sort of ways. And, uh, and I'm really hoping, I'm looking forward to sort of seeing, all right, what is it that God wants me to do? I'll finish off on this. Uh, thank you. Let me start the timer here. Okay, I'm uh, Simon, grateful recovering lustaholic. It's actually sober by God's grace since 802. Currently working step 11 is my primary step, and I've done some work on step 11 in the last 24 hours through prayer. Some work on step 12 in the last 24 hours through helping others, and some work on step 0 and the 1 in the last 24 hours by participating in SA meetings. Um, we're, we're talking about shame. And what I'll do is lead with my weakness. I was late getting to this session, right? I'm supposed to start at 1030. I got down here like 1030. Why is that important? It's important because for the last two weeks, I have been getting getting everything done on time, getting to every place on time. Why is that important? The, what I'm striving for is something that I learned, um, it's capsulized in one sentence that I learned from somebody very, 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 very wise. Just one sentence. And uh, we'll get to that. But um, I, I heard somebody once say that shame stands for should have already mastered everything. Should have already mastered everything. My sponsor had me work on an assignment, an assignment, in early 2018. He said to me, Simon, I'm tired of hearing about this. You know, you've been late for stuff. So I want you to work the steps on sloth and procrastination. I want you to look at the definition and work the steps on it. I said, okay, yes, sir. You know, I just, I do what I'm told. That's what's kept me sober, right? Don't think too much, just do what you're told. So that's what I did. So I looked at the definition and wrote that down, and then I said, oh, definition, oh, okay, hmm, sloth. That word means slow, slow. It's like a slower version of slow. (laughs) It's like there's regular slow, then there's slow, slow. Sloth means slow, slow. These are animals in South America, and they hang upside down. That's what a sloth does. The sloth moves backwards. Backwards. And how fast does it go? Slow. Slow. That's sloth. Procrastination has to do with putting things off. I looked up those definitions. I learned those definitions. And I thought, where does that come from? You know, the background of the words and all that. So I dug in all that. And I, man, I worked on that really hard for about two weeks. And then, um, working the steps on it, and then nothing happened for like four months. Four months. And I talked to him, he said, Simon, are you doing that sloth procrastination? I said, um, not much. Get to it! That's the problem. Well, what do you expect somebody to do who procrastinates, right? <laughs> But I mean, and somehow there was just something, something within me that knew that there was something deeper that I was afraid of. And I don't, I don't know how I knew, but there's just something that says, you know, normally when my sponsor tells me to do this, I just do it. That's what's got me sober. Just do it. And somehow I, I knew there were, there, there's something there. It's big and scary. I don't know exactly what it is, but there's something there. And I'd work on it. You know, I may work on it a day and then no more work and then skip a couple of days and no more work. And then like at the end of 2018, I spent more time on it. And then I put it down, and then I was like, the thing that I won't, the the thing that I won't stop is the thing that's stopping me. I won't stop this procrastination on this assignment. Why? Because it's big and scary. Why? Because there's something underneath that I don't want to see. So I got to face it. So what I did, (laughs) 
when I spy Z, he was um, behind on something I had asked him to do. I said, well, just do it. And I thought to myself, oh, man, my sponsor told me that. Holy cow. I said, well, maybe he and I can help each other. So this year we started helping each other. I would call him. I said, how are you doing on such and such? He said, well, I need to get to it. I said, I said you know, I, I really do too. So maybe we can help each other. So I'll call you and I'll check in and I'll tell you if I've done it. <laughs> He's back there. <laughs> so I was calling and checking in and I started doing it every day, just a little bit every day. Five minutes every day is better than one hour in one day and never doing it again. The other thing is I'm pretty thorough about my step work. So what I did is I was uh, working on this uh, step work on sloth and procrastination, and I found some interesting things. I found out that the reason I didn't want to deal with it is because I started finding some scary stuff underneath. So sloth and procrastination, what's under my sloth and procrastination? What I found underneath that, the, some of the big hairy stuff, not, you know, these rocks, if you've ever been fishing, you might... They're like rocks. You pull this rock, you see all these creepy, crawly things crawling underneath there. It's like, ugh, that's what's underneath. So, uh, under the first layer, I, uh, under sloth and procrastination, what I found was perfectionism. Perfectionism. Why am I late? Because the thing I'm working on has to be perfect. It's got to be right. It's got to be right. Um, with my schoolwork, when I was in school, I'd get it in just in time. Why? Because I want every minute I can have because it's got to be right. Now, with school, uh, with grad school, I would even start my assignments early. I would start early, but it's got to be perfect. So underneath the sloth and procrastination is perfection. It's got to be perfect. If I'm working on something, hey, I'll be late to my meeting because i got to get this thing done, right? Because this has to do with me and how I feel, right? Perfectionism. And I began digging deeper. It's like, man, there's more. Underneath my perfectionism was fear of criticism, I thought I was working on perfectionism, and then I try to do things perfectly, right? That doesn't solve the problem, because that's just a symptom. You got to know what the problem is, right? I hadn't even found the problem yet. The problem is my fear of criticism. I'm afraid to be criticized. I'm afraid of what people will say. I'm afraid of people, what people will think. That's the problem. It's like, okay, good. Now I know what I can work on. Good. Fear of criticism, that's what I can work on. So I started working on that and, and continued to do my step work, right? Uh, working the steps on sloth procrastination. And then I realized that that helped some, but not enough, because that wasn't the problem. That was just a deeper symptom. Underneath my fear of criticism is low self-esteem. And I started working on that, and I began to make more traction. And I'm like, man, this is pretty cool. Even that wasn't it. I began digging more, and there were more creepy crawlies under there. And this came through, uh, and I was having, a, I was having an, uh, an, an interview for a job. And I'd done all this work. I'd created, um, you know, I'd, I'd done this, in, this really elaborate cover letter. I mean, really, really elaborate, okay? This is like 15 pages. I kid you not, literally, literally. Perfectionism, right? And they said, oh, we want to interview this guy. And they said, we're anxious to get you here, you know. And so I had prepared thoroughly, right? Perfectionism, right? Fear of criticism, right? I'm going to make sure that I don't have to deal with it. And I'm fairly good at presenting, okay? And what happened is I got there to the interview, answered all the questions. And the part that should have been the easiest for me was the part that I destroyed. I blew it completely. Completely. And I was like, afterwards, I'm like, what happened there? How did I do that? And I was talking to my wife. I said, how did I do that? Wow. What was underneath my low self-esteem was self-sabotage. What happened is this position was so good, it's like, I really don't deserve that. I don't deserve it. And because of my own internal sense of integrity, I have to destroy it. I, just, I have to. I, I don't want to. But that thing is too good for me. I, 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 I'm not ready for that. I don't, I don't deserve that yet. Someday, someday I'll be worthy. But right now, I don't deserve it. And because I don't deserve it, I have to make sure it doesn't happen. Now, I, I suppressed all these feelings enough to do this, um, this great cover letter and, and this great over-the-phone interview and to answer all these questions. But it's like, there's a part of me that's like, oh, man, you, you don't deserve this. And it, it's about to happen. This really good thing that you don't deserve is about to happen. This is scary. Destroy it! And that's what I did. I was like, how could I blow that part of the, the interview? How could I do that? And it's like, 
my wife and I are talking, I was, oh, that's self-sabotage. I didn't even know that was happening. Self-sabotage was underneath that. And even that wasn't it. I thought I'd gotten all the creepy crawlies, right? Underneath my self-sabotage is self-hate. Self-sabotage was a symptom. Because I hate myself, I don't deserve anything that's really good. Because I don't deserve it. If it's about to happen, I have to destroy it. And I have to destroy it, of course, because I have low self-esteem, right? And I have low self-esteem because I'm going back up the chain now, right? Low self-esteem because I have this fear of criticism. If I really love me, I wouldn't fear your criticism, right? And because I have fear of criticism, I have to be perfect. I have to do perfect. I have to say perfect. I have to look perfect. And because I have all that, I have to procrastinate. Because it takes a lot of time to do it perfect. It takes a lot of time because I fear your criticism. It takes a lot of time because I have low self-esteem. It takes a lot of time because I have self-hate, right? Well, self-sabotage first, and then I have self-hate. It takes a lot of time to go through all that and manage all that. That's exhausting. No wonder I'm tired. No wonder I can't get to sleep at night. All that is going on, and I never knew it. Why? Because I suppress it during the day. Because during the day, i got to be on top of stuff, right? I'm Simon, right? I'm professional. I don't got stuff going on. Other people have problems, not me, because I have perfectionism. You other people, get it together. <laughs> All that is going on underneath. No wonder I'm exhausted. No wonder I'm late. And what happened is, for the last two weeks, I've been getting to everything on time. So my sponsor yesterday, he said, how's it going, Simon? I said, fantastic. I'm getting to everything on time. My assignments are done on time. I'm doing things on time at work, making, making the church on time, getting my meetings on time, getting my meetings early. They're like, oh, Simon's here. Oh, what happened? Simon's here. Is it, what, what wrong? What's wrong? You know, everything is on time. Everything is on time. And I was in the meeting before this. And I'm talking to people afterwards. Like, wow, it's good to meet you. Wow. We've been, we've been talking on the face to face, on the phone meetings, face to face meeting you. It's like, wow. And time vanished. I'm like, oh, gosh, I'm supposed to be in a meeting. I'm co-leading the meeting. I've done all this work. It's like, that's your pride, Simon. Okay, you made a mistake. You forgot. Because I was like, oh, gosh, how could I do this, right? And I was like, I hope my sponsor's not at this session, right? Because I'm about to walk in late. (laughs) He's here, right? Of course he is, right? Of course. I'm I'm trying to watch my time because I don't want to go over, right? Okay. (laughs) This stuff is pretty deep. It really is. So just to recap, so sloth procrastination, underneath that is perfectionism, underneath that is fear of criticism, underneath that is low self-esteem, underneath that is self-hate, underneath that is self-sabotage, um, underneath that, I'm sorry, self-sabotage, then the self-hate. So, how could I not be ashamed, right? How could I not be ashamed, right? But all I can do is all I can do. I got that one symptom, and I was working on the, um, he told me to work the steps on it, so that's what I did. And, um, and I'm thorough, right? Perfectionism. Um, when I finished that work on my, uh, he told me to work the steps on sloth procrastination, it was 109 single-spaced, typewritten pages. But that's what it took to get through all that, right? And I was thinking, well, I'm sure he doesn't want to see this, so I said, hey, I can send this to you, or you can, I can just you know, work through it with one of the guys here. We can do like a fifth step. He said, he said no, I want to see it. And he looked through, he said, oh, wow, you've been working. Because what happens is, because it has to be perfect, I don't want anybody to see it until it's finished, right? So he hadn't seen it, you know. And um, then we, we met. We talked about it. And he said, uh, keep in mind, 109 pages, single space. That's just the first five steps. I hadn't finished all of them. He said, uh, he said Simon, that's enough. He said, I want you to stop. And I said, no, no, no. I said, but it's not finished. I can finish it because I'm on a roll now, right? I can finish it, you know. He said, no, that's enough. Stop. And what he was getting to is my perfectionism, right? Because I hadn't finished it, right? I only did the first five steps. Let it go, Simon. I said, but you know, I, I can finish this. I got it in my schedule. I'm used to He said, no. No, stop it, Simon. So I stopped it. I was talking about something that I, I learned. Um, how does um, this um, recovery uh, from shame addiction. I got this from somebody very wise, very young. Um, what happened is we were together 
this is my son. And we have pictures around the house, right? And I was showing him this picture. And I said, um, I said, I said, hey, buddy, when you see this picture, what comes to mind? He looked at the picture and he smiled. He said, <sighs> this big smile on his face. He, he hadn't even, uh, he was in preschool, right? He hadn't even gotten into elementary school. He said, <gasps> big smile. And I'm waiting because, you know, I'm in recovery. So I'm, I'm aware of what's really going on around me. He said, I said, what comes to mind? Tell me. He said, I handsome. Because he's looking at the picture of him, right? Himself. He said, I handsome. I said, what else? He said, I awesome. I needed to hear that. I'm made in God's image. Because I'm God's child, I handsome. I awesome. What he didn't realize is, and I looked at him, and I looked at the picture, I looked at him, and I said, wow. And he just kept saying, I handsome. I awesome. I looked at the picture, and I, that wasn't a picture of him. That was a picture of me when I was his age. My son Is giving me a permission. Give me permission to live without shame. To know what it's like to feel unconditional love. So because I'm God's child, I handsome, I awesome. I want him to always feel that. And my daughter, I want her to feel, I beautiful, I awesome. It's that simple. Sometimes I get hung up on all these big fancy words that that hide what's really going on. I'm God's child. I handsome, I awesome. That was awesome. Uh, now, uh, now we're we're open to questions. Are these old questions up here from the last session? No. Oh, so if anybody wants to, uh, if anybody would like to distribute these, and uh, so is this pens here as well? If anybody wants to sort of like, you know, maybe. If there's anybody like to have a few questions, you know, and I, I that was that was just such a a, a gift, and it, it was lovely to be there. And you know, it's amazing. We both ended up talking about time, and we both ended up talking about the same thing, which is, you know, I awesome. Huh? You know, it's like God made me to be who I am. You know, isn't that beautiful? And all of you to be who you are. You know, exactly, you know, who you are is who God made you to be. You know, there was, um, I was talking yesterday, and there's a, uh, a, I've done a lot of work on emotional sobriety, and one of the things that I've got from that is this uh, understanding that in order to have that self-validation that we've been talking about, that feeling of, you know, in yourself, instead of having to go and look for it outside, because we, we spend so much of our time looking at it from outside, and the shame is this thing of what are people going to think of me? What do they, you know, I'm, I'm obviously failed. I'm, I'm, <coughs> I'm obviously flawed. And, you know, what I, what I came to learn from a lot, of, a, a lot of research on this was somebody explained that self-validation comes from God-consciousness, 
And that God consciousness is when I accept myself as I am, you as you are, and the world as it is. You know? And it just suddenly seemed to become, I thought, I can do that. Because I only have to do it for right now. It doesn't mean that I don't want you to improve. (laughs) That I don't want me to improve. That I don't want the world to improve. But for right this instant, I can accept myself as I am. I can accept you as you are and the world as it is. So in this moment, I can be at peace. I can be at peace. Okay. What does this say here? Suggestions for getting past wallowing in self-recrimination over past harms. Well, you know, we've been, we've been talking about this and, you know, Simon was talking there, he's talking about self-hate. Self-hate Self-hate is, you know, it's, it's, it's more pernicious than pride. Self-hate is sort of, you know, I'm so bad that, like, I cannot be forgiven by anybody. Like, and it doesn't matter if God wants to forgive me. I ain't going to forgive me. Yeah? I will not forgive myself. And so it's like, you know, I'm going to play God. And if I'm playing God, then I'm back into self-will. And it says to us, our problem is we are cases of self-will run riot. And that we must be rid of this selfishness. I've got to stop beating up on myself all the time. I remember a therapist said to me, he said, Brendan, when are you going to stop doing that? Like, it's like you want to take over what your father was doing. Like, sort of, you know, you're going to beat up on yourself all the time. When are you going to give up on it? When are you going to stop saying you can't do this? You've done all these amazing things in your life. When are you going to stop saying you can't do things? You know, when you just get on with it. Yeah? You know, I remember when I was talking about that uh, thesis, my brother picked me up in Dublin, in, in Ireland, and drove me to the west. It took about three hours driving. And when we got there, he said, you've spent the th- three hours coming down here telling me how you can't do it. You know? You've come here to go and do something, which is going to take you, you know, a number of years to do it, and you're telling me you can't do it. Oh, well. So, I'll just turn it over there. Um, thank you. I, I think I'm starting to get myself back together here a little bit. Uh, thanks for your patience. Um, um, let's see. Um, I'll try to go through this as quickly as I can. It will, cause I, I, I mean, because I don't want to shortchange it, so I want to make sure we... We address these plus, um, and maybe we can tag because you might have some input on on these yeah, as well. Okay, just, just take one off, take one. Okay, all right. Um, but also, if you have input, you know. Yeah. So we got what is it? Uh, when does session? Is it eleven thirty? Is that when it ends? Or um, okay, all right. We got fifteen minutes. Okay, so we'll yeah. both kind of share with each, maybe. Um, okay. The question is this: When you spend your whole life in self hatred, um. How do you, or oh, how do you turn the corner? So ingrained, yes. How do you create a new habit? Okay, so you spend your whole life in self-hatred. Well, that's me. Um, so here's some, some things that I do that seem to help. Um, one is affirmations. So what that means is positive statements about who I want to be, not who I am. And also a recognition of my strengths, because even though I have character defects, I also have some strengths, right? But I never focus on those, right? Otherwise, I wouldn't be in self-hatred. And what I do is I try to use technology to do that. So what I do is just have like a, a record app that I downloaded on the phone. I have affirmations on there. Some of these are um, based on my faith uh, and what God, you know, the picture that God, the way God sees me, like the way I see my son. That's the way God sees me. So... And it's all together, mine is like 18 minutes, and I just put it on repeat. So when I'm exercising in the morning, I get to hear that. Because what's happened over time is I have this self-hate because I heard this negative stuff. I heard it again and again and again, right? And I'm putting the positive stuff in again, again, and again. The other thing is that I share it in the meetings. I share it in the meetings. We were trying to have uh, our son, who is that great gift, we were trying to conceive. And I thought we couldn't because it was my fault. It's like, oh, man. Here I am, you know, a sex ed. I can't even get my wife pregnant. I'm a failure at that, right? And I had tremendous shame about that. And I started going to meetings and sharing it. I have to get it out. Share constantly about it. I do the affirmations about it. 
Anything else about that? Um, okay. But if you have um, something to share, yes. Um, but it's everyday work. It's everyday work. So I have to focus on those things that are positive that I do, and I actually have a log. So when I, the, the positive traits that I have, I actually log those because things that are important are always written, right? When you get a divorce, that's a written document, right? It is. Um, when, they, when somebody sues you, that's a written document, right? Um, when you get fired, they always give you something in writing that says termination, right? But somehow the positive stuff is never in writing. So I actually you know, jot those things down. All right. Um, I, guess, uh, I guess I do have self-hatred, but why? Uh, why would I? Um, okay. How can I um, accept my character defects when they've caused so much trouble? Um, I have to accept my character defects because it's part of who I am. See, what happens is that that's all a part of who I am. And I guess having young kids and sobriety has helped me because sometimes now, um, now they're speaking in full sentences and a little older, right? Um, they will focus on the negative things. But as their parent, I say, wow, son, I see all these positive traits. Why are you focusing on the negative? And that's probably what God thinks about me. He's like, Simon, why are you focusing on that? You've got all these positive things. I have to have a way to remember that because that, but that's all part of who I am. See, I can still be God's kid and I can be perfectly imperfect. That's what makes me unique. If I didn't have some of those issues, I wouldn't be here, right? I would experience the joy of recovery, right? Um, recovery is a great place to be. We're, we're, um, okay. Okay. Um, <clears throat> how do you come to terms with imperfect sobriety? I don't know. Um, no, how, how do you come to perfect sobriety? I, if you get perfect sobriety, please stand up. Huh? It says, it says in the big book of AA, it says, nobody's done this to perfection. Nobody. Nobody ever does it to perfection. If we ever got perfect, we wouldn't need to come back here anymore. You know, i got to come here to hear, to be part of what's here today. I mean, I'm learning loads today. Uh, this is why I'm here. I have to, if, if I wasn't perfect, I wouldn't need God. The gift of being a sexaholic is it made me have to come and look for God. Do you know, life could have been so bland do you know, it could have just been, I might have, if I wasn't a sexaholic, I might have just been an occasional infidelity type guy, you know. Do you know what I mean? Not so much enough to kind of get kicked out of the home. I just kind of hang around, but I, I never, you know, never have that quality of recovery. I just be sort of, you know, just in there. Oh, man, there's, there's an emptiness in that. Oh, I'm here because I remember, you know, I was with the mother. Uh, I, was with, I, was with, I, was, I was with I was with somebody who was very dear in my life. And I was having relations with them. And my body was having sex. And I was watching. And my heart had left the building. And it was the loneliest, loneliest place I could ever imagine. To be with the person that you loved and not to be able to be intimate because you couldn't actually be intimate without all the fantasy and all that kind of carry-on going on. And it was just, it felt like there is never going to be a possibility ever again of being in union with somebody, you know. There's. Uh, I'll take one more here. I've been told that I'm carrying somebody else's shame. Do you have any thoughts on that? They call it toxic shame. You know, it's not mine. Somebody's put it on. People told me, there was a person told me once, she said, anybody can manage you with guilt. Yeah? Anybody can manage you with guilt. And the thing is now is like sort of, okay, 
you know, if I, I, I'm, it's not my job to carry somebody else's shame. It's not even my job to sort of be carrying my shame. Huh? My job is to sort of say, look, there's shame. It's, this is, this, this thing that tells me I'm a bad person. I am a God, child of God. Yeah? God made me this way. I, I used to, I used to get these things. I'd, I'd be walking down the street. I'm working to try to be a better person. And I suddenly remember the time I stole the wallet from my friend and went off and drank the proceeds. You know? And I think, all right, Brendan, it doesn't matter what you do, you'll never be anything but a petty thief, a bad friend, just a miserable git. And uh, it always made me go back and feel so hollow inside. When I worked through the inventory on all the things that I have done and all the, all the shames that I have and whatever, I get to a stage, it's okay, I've done some crappy things. I've done some crappy things. I've been forgiven by God. I go and I make the amends that I have to make and I get on with life. Because if I'm wallowing in shame and how bad a person I am, I'm completely useless to you and I'm completely useless to God. And my job is to fit myself to be of maximum service to God and to others. So I've got to get out of this self-pitying, self-centered shame because it's just a way of blocking me off from being of any use to anybody. Thanks, Brendan. Okay, here are a couple of questions. Um, this one says, uh, shame. Okay, sober with an essay. Um, have an addiction to money. Act in ways that cause shame. Haven't been able to stop. Okay. And... So the question is, what is your experience with self-hatred and codependency? I have both of those. Uh, my first program is actually, um, I'll share a little bit of my personal story, although it's not essay approved, but uh, my first program is Al-Anon because of my codependency. And when I was in Al-Anon, my sponsor told me, he said, Simon, you're a love addict. And I said, what is that? And a love addict is an individual who is addicted to relationships. So I became addicted to the young woman I was dating at the time. And Believe it or not, it's not even about sex. It's about the addiction of the person and the adulation I get from the person. She's going to make me feel wonderful about me and all that stuff. And when I was in that program, my Alan sponsor said, Simon, you got to turn your sex motor off. And I said, how do I do that? He said, I don't know. And then I found essay. Okay. So um, codependency, what's your experience with self-hatred and codependency in relation to others? Got a lot of experience with that. Okay. Um, here's some, here are a couple of things I wanted to start with. So, um, I wanted to start with some truths in um, how it works in the White Book, page 206. It says, because if we know the truth, we can build on that, okay? Um, Rarely have we seen a person fail who has thoroughly followed our path. Those who do not recover are people who cannot or will not completely give themselves to the simple program, usually men and women who are constitutionally incapable of being honest with themselves. Honesty. There are such unfortunates. They are not at fault. They seem to have been born that way. Honesty, being honest with ourselves. That's the first truth, how it works. The program works by honesty. If I'm willing to be honest with myself, that forms the foundation. So that's the first truth. Number one, being honest with myself. I can only do that in the context of others. Because when I share stuff, you give me feedback. And I'm like, oh, maybe I wasn't honest about that. My sponsor gives me feedback. That's the first truth. Second truth is this. For my faith religion, and in most major faith religions, there's this concept of truth. And in mine, it's, um, ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. If I ain't free, that means I ain't looking at the truth, right? You shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. So if I'm not free, that means I'm not looking at the truth. When I was going through that stuff about um, procrastination and sloth, at each step I thought I was free, but I wasn't because that was just a symptom. Second truth. So the third one is this. The third truth is, I love this, it's about, um, I heard a speaker say this, um, a health professional. The purpose of an addiction is to medicate intolerable reality. The purpose of an addiction is to medicate intolerable reality. So the question about money, I'm addicted to money. Money isn't the problem. 
money is a symptom, right? Because the purpose of the addiction is to medicate intolerable reality. When I learn through my program to deal with reality, I don't need to medicate with money. Um, about sex and lust, you know, there's shame about that. The reason I have shame about that because I'm not living in reality. I have to remember that the purpose of the addiction is to medicate intolerable reality. So when I come in and say, I'm a lustaholic, I'm a sex addict, if I'm accepting and living in the truth, then I need to treat that the same way I would treat coming in here and saying, I'm addicted to water. I can't give it up, guys. I'm, I, I, I can't give it up. Because its purpose is to medicate intolerable reality. That's the truth. When I th- see it from a skewed perspective, like, oh, oh, look at that porn, such a bad person. That's not the truth. Because the deeper truth is I'm just medicating reality, intolerable reality. Thanks. We've got just time for one last um, question. We have a question here from Mina. Uh, from the airwaves, and Mina's asking about like sort of that, uh, and and the question that the general gist of it is that um, you know the nervousness to share their weaknesses, but afraid of being misunderstood, and therefore having to keep it inside and just burning up with the pain of these sort of these things that that, that we've done. And I kind of want to add, add to uh, another one here of somebody talking about you know we how do I overcome shame of my addiction? You know, and I've done some bad stuff and there may be sort of legal implications. And We have to have trust in God. It's all fear. It's all fear. You know, what is somebody going to think of me? We're back to what is somebody going to think of me? I love that saying that they have. I didn't know how to take it before when they sort of said what other people think of me is none of my business you know I mean what you think of me is none of my business my, my job is like to stay in as close as I can to higher power and the only way to learn to trust in God is to give it a try and the only way to learn to trust in our fellows is to give it a try you know contact them get over that you know that they may misunderstand me you know, they may well misunderstand me, but I've found over the years amazing levels of understanding, amazing amounts of love, and just healing, and people being prepared to sit down with me, and just, oh God, like, you know, when I thought that people would just go away from me, and they would just turn away from me when I told them what I'd done, and what that sort of stuff, and when I did my first step, um, I, I was there, and um, Mike C., who was over in Ireland and he was, he was at that. And I didn't know who he was, except he was my sponsor sponsor. And he was, you know, he was years and years sober. And I was like sort of, you know, a few weeks and I was kind of rattling and they wouldn't let me share my first step in, in, in the large group. They said it was too rough. And, you know, and, and I'm there with him. And when he heard it, he turned and he sort of said, you know, he said, I, I just hear how much harm you did yourself. And I just didn't, that wasn't what I was expecting at all. I was expecting to be, you know, given this sort of riotous, you know, you, 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 let's not go there. And, um, you know, and all I got was love. All I got was love, you know. I think that's all we have to, all we have for now. Uh, thanks for participating. So, in closing, anything you've heard of this meeting is strictly the opinion of the individual participant. The principle of essay are found in our 12 steps and 12 traditions. Um, And it says, you know, let's close with the third or seventh step prayer. But if you, um, if if you humor me, I'm going to ask, can we step end with the 11th step prayer? Um, and this is my favorite prayer and I call this, this is the prayer of freedom yeah? so if we could all stand together in, in a circle and what I'll do is I will, I, will um, I know that everybody won't know it off so what I'll do is I'll read or I'll lead it out and then you could all follow me I'm not going to do it from, without being with you <laughs> that would be really over the top 
I'd like to thank you for listening to this episode of The Daily Reprieve, the best source for experience, strength, and hope for SA members. Please subscribe to this podcast to be alerted of new episodes. Please show your support by donating to The Daily Reprieve by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and choosing either monthly donations or a one-time donation by clicking Donate Now. Thank you for listening, and stay tuned for the next episode of The Daily Reprieve.